When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me today, Taylor Dammel, our first episode of December here, at least recording. I think our last episode did air on December 1st, but we are here fully entrenched in December. Uh, it is the 6th. New Year coming around, Taylor. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, I didn't go random. I actually went the complete opposite end of the spectrum here, Taylor. I'm going to bring you in for just two seconds. But I had to go with Tyrese Halliburton. What a performance and what an ascending star he really is. I think we've seen Tyrese Halliburton because we play or we pay attention to the NBA. Like everyone's saying he's reaching superstar levels. I was thinking that kind of late last year, middle of last year. Uh, But what a performance against the Celtics in the end season tournament. The guy just doesn't turn the ball over. That's the most impressive part. Stat sheets, points, uh, rebounds, assists. Somehow that was his first ever career triple-double. I don't necessarily believe that, even though I looked it up. But he had his first career triple-double against the Celtics. But the most insane part is he does all of this ball handling and touches the rock on every possession. And he just doesn't turn the ball over. But I have to admit... I didn't see Tyrese Halliburton being good. I shouldn't say nobody. I don't think anybody saw him being this good. I didn't think he was going to be that good coming out of Iowa state. I remember watching him with the clones and I was like, I kind of don't understand why he's being viewed as this top prospect, but I am going to bring you in Taylor because I know living in Phoenix, you had some advisory words for the Suns. Oh, so I'm going to say, not say, I didn't think he would necessarily be a superstar, but I was definitely pro Tyrese Halliburton coming out of the draft. Um, And the Suns had an opportunity to draft him. um, And all they needed, if you look at everything that the Suns have needed over the last three to four years, it's, it's a point guard. It's a point guard. Like that team probably wins the NBA finals uh, with Tyrese Halliburton on the roster. Cause what was that? They were relying on campaign as their backup like guard. Uh, you know, three years ago. Um, right now, what they need is a point guard. They probably don't ever, you know, there's an opportunity that they are able to let Chris Paul go a year early and not have to re-sign him. Um, and so when I, when they took Jalen uh, Smith, which was a ridiculous Tyrese's teammate. <laughs> yeah, but there was a ridiculous pick at the time. It made no sense. Former, former uh, host of this program told me that Tyrese Halliburton's dank 
and that Jalen Smith, we needed to give him more time. And he was going to be, I believe he said, a top five player from this draft, which is could not be more wrong, but you know, that's fine. He can, we can tweet about at each, at each other later, but I just didn't understand the pick because the year before they had taken Deandre Ayton or two years before that they'd taken Deandre Ayton, you know, why you were drafting a project big behind a guy that you kind of thought was a high major project bit big, you know, Ayton wasn't necessarily a project, but as the number one pick, but you know, you guys all know DeAndre, so I don't need to explain that to you. But when you're like, okay, we don't have a backup point guard at all, or really a point guard on this team, but you know what we should do is draft a project big that isn't going to see the floor even for five years. It didn't make any sense, and so, um, yeah. And now that I'm that he's this good, I, I guess the thing that is most surprising to me is not necessarily his passing ability because I think we all knew he had passing ability, but. Uh, he can score and shoot the basketball at a high level. And that's something, um, you know, with his stroke that wasn't really, it's not the prettiest in the world, but um, he's made great strides there. So uh, I'm very pro Tyrese Halliburton. And I was even, I didn't even, typical Sacramento Kings too. Well, but they're okay. They kept a better player. I think De'Aaron Fox is a better player. But why did they draft him then? You know, I mean, like, right? You know, it's like, what are you guys even doing? (laughs) I I think it worked out for both the Pacers and I understand. I understand. I'm just saying, it's kind of like you; those teams drafted the only player that they had essentially already. It it didn't really make any sense to me either. But um, yeah, shout out Tyrese Halliburton. Definitely not random, but um, no, but a very good performance against your Celtics there. Amazing performance, and you talk about his, his. unorthodox shot yeah i guess it's not the prettiest but there's like a layer to that and it's it it looks like he's losing control of the ball and he not only gets the shot up but it goes in like i don't understand how he can have such a low trajectory starting with the ball so like it's below his hip i understand the shooter's pocket but it feels like he's fumbling the ball and then next thing I know, the ball's going through the hoop. He's amazing. I love Tyrese Halliburton. I just didn't think he was going to be uh, pretty that – like, I didn't think he was going to be close to an all-star. But he's one of the best point guards in the league. Maybe the best point guard in the league. Sure. I'm um, all right with that. A rich man's – a very rich man's Kevin Martin. Uh, shot, shot style. Yeah, like a know. Jeff Bezos type of Kevin. <laughs> I saw that comp, and it, it. I'm like, it's only because they have ugly shots, and Kevin Martin did pour it in. But nothing else is, is no similar. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else is similar. Just that. And there ain't much else. But Tyrese Halliburton, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com. And make sure to follow me at CVB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains.
Welcome back. I know you were off uh, last episode. Hey, raise your glass, man. I got my eggnog going. Like I said, I got my eggnog going. I got the tree is up, Taylor. The tree is up, but the ornaments are not hung. So that is next on the to-do list. But the lot down the street didn't have the the tree lot this year. They did last year and it was super easy for us because I could just literally walk and bring it back. Had to go to Home Depot today, but it was a very seamless experience. A very nice gentleman who I felt terrible for because he was just waiting out in the tree lot all night. It's cold and dark, but he tied it to the top of our car. No questions asked. He was very nice. He was very quick and the tree's up. And how about you? What's what's the holiday a holiday festivity looking like in the Damel household? So we've had our tree up for probably over a week now, I think. Oh, maybe a week today. Um, it was up. No, no, no. We put it up the Friday after Thanksgiving. So um, the it stayed up for, uh, yeah, a couple, three, four days before we were like, yeah, we should probably put the ornaments that have been sitting on the ground uh, right there. Um, we're going to use the kid as an excuse as to not getting things up. But my lights have been up for probably two weeks now, I think. So um, proud of you for going real tree. Have you always been a real tree guy? Every single year. Oh yeah. Wow. I don't necessarily have a choice. I won't say here, here's how I describe it, Taylor. If it were up to me, I don't know if I'd go real tree or not. I'm not big either way, but this is very much a Rachel thing where she's like, no, I I'm adamant about getting a real tree. She enjoys tree shopping. She enjoys the real, the realness of it. And because it's only once a year and not that big a deal, I'm good with it. What about you? Yeah. I mean, we're fake. We're fake folk here. I hate to say it, but that's um, fine too. Yeah, I'm. I, we had some real trees growing up. Um, you know, maybe that was kind of more of like an Alaskan thing, but um, I don't know. I guess having a real tree in Scottsdale just doesn't. It feels like I don't know. Could we're we're house. like we're po- like we're posers, you know. <laughs> like like listen, <laughs> like, like at least you live in like a more wooded area, right? It, I can't even sit here and be like, oh yeah, I just cut this down. It's like, no, come on. Like, let's be serious here. So I think the other thing is we actually been commenting this year about how uh, wispy our fake tree looks. I think we got it at like a, you know, like a $49 after Christmas sale at Target like a couple years ago. And it's one of those things I've just been waiting for uh, to renovate our house. For some reason, I think our tree can't be nice until the rest of our house is nice, I guess. I don't I don't know. The self-loathing here, a Christmas guy, North Pole guy. But um, yeah, uh, we're making it work. You know, I uh, there is a guy on our street that has a leg lamp in his window, which I always uh, am very supportive of. I mean, we are we've gotten into our our Christmas movie rotation. So we started with Four Christmases, which is usually what we always start with. It's such a good movie. If you don't like it or don't know it, go watch it right now. But we have a lot more to check off the uh, the list. Grinch, Christmas Vacation, uh, The Home Alones, all of that. And of course, A Christmas Story, which is what you're, which, what you're referencing. But there's so much basketball going on, Taylor. Hold on, hold on. Have you, before we get into that, have you hopped into your uh, Hallmark holiday movies yet? Not yet. Was it? Was I talking to you about that? Yeah, you showed me a picture of screen grab or something, right? Yes. Um, What's that movie? That one is. I, God, dude, I don't know. <laughs> oh well, shit. Yeah, I'd be down to watch garbage Hallmark movies. <laughs> it's not like I'm actually like the one that's choosing to this. Oh, uh, we watched. Let me see. My Norwegian Holiday. 
seemed pointless ended up being pretty good. Um, let me see. Our Christmas mural, not bad. Um, a Biltmore Christmas, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, one to stay away from is, God, where it was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Navigating Christmas was the worst movie <laughs> I've ever seen. I mean, it sounds terrible. I mean, it's all the same people doing the same yeah. shit. You know, Navigating Christmas was horrifically bad, though. Like, like the scene, nothing. It was pure. It was a road trip movie about being stuck in the winter in I, like Idaho. And they're driving through like the pure green summer. Like they clearly shot this on like July 15th. And like it, it, it was no, no effort was put into making this. They're like in the middle of downtown Boise, Idaho. And they're like, oh, my God, we're in the middle of nowhere. We don't have cell service. How are we supposed to get anywhere? It was just like, listen, I know that these movies don't have high budgets by any means. But I'm like, can we have at least a small amount of detail here? Like some snow on the ground, maybe? I don't know. So that one was terrible. But there have been some decent ones. I'm open to watching god-awful movies. I was watching A Christmas Night. And it's like a pun on words or a play on words. Like, K. Okay, it's about, it's about this night that time travels and he falls in love with, I think it's Vanessa Hudgens. I should know that. I'm pretty sure it's Vanessa Hudgens, but Can't it's, I mean, back. it's, it's yeah. Right. I mean, it's so bad though that, I mean, there, there's plot holes everywhere. There's one major, major plot, plot hole that <clears throat> it's like not super integral to the story, but it just comes out of nowhere. And so you're like, all right, surely they have an explanation for this. They didn't. They didn't tie up any loose ends. I, I, I tweeted about it. I went on Reddit to see if there were any theories. Uh, but And I don't want to spoil it for anyone that potentially might listen. But just a terrible movie. But I'm excited to dive into some more Christmas movies here. Like the classics that I love. So before we make it back to college basketball, let's let like Hallmark Christmas movies are like the... Uh, mid-major team that wins their conference and gets into the tournament and just goes, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we made it good enough, you know, like <laughs> not, the, we don't need it. Right. Or even if they win a game, you know, like, you know what? We've already, nobody even really cares. We're going to get blown out in the next game, but we don't care. We already made it. That's all. That's all anyone cares about. It's pretty much the 16 seed that goes up against the one. Now, what would FDU be? FDU, and and UMBC would be something that Rotten Tomatoes says it has a really bad score, but is universally loved because it's won over so many people. Right? That, I, don't, I don't know. I, what I don't have a is, this year. I think it's a built more Christmas on the holiday. Okay. <laughs> All right, I like that, uh, Taylor. Some really good games though. Uh, as we're recording this, the two big games, the two big games from yesterday. Uh, Jimmy V week, Illinois beats FAU 98 to 89 and UConn beats North Carolina 87 to 76. T, I want to start with the Illini beating FAU. What a fun game. I'm going to start there actually with my initial thought. This was just a fun, awesome, entertaining college basketball game, right? I just mentioned the score and it's on there on, on the screen, 98 to 89 in regulation, the first half was free flowing. There were minimal fouls. I think only 10 or 11 fouls were called. And I think that that proceeded to happen in the second half of the game, which was just aesthetically pleasing. Game wasn't bogged down. But when you look at the superstars of this game, Vlad Golden had a career high 23. John L. Davis had 19. Terrence Shannon exploded for 33. 
but it was Marcus. Nobody cared about or cared who I was until I took off Damask, Domask. Uh, he had 33. I mean, the scoring and the shot making was awesome. It was a competitive game. It was, it was, it was clutch minutes down the stretch from both sides. Like I mentioned, great shot making. Uh, that's, that was my opening thought on this, but your takeaways from Illinois beating FAU. I think my takeaway is that I'm not sure how good FAU is, but I, it's not really their fault, I guess, that they lost this game. Illinois just shot the hell out of the ball. I mean, they shot 63% from the field. I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's a defense that needs to be played, but don't get me wrong, but it's kind of hard to get a, get a, a, you know, a feel for a team when the other team literally won't miss. You have two guys who score 33 points uh, in a game, you know, like I was thinking about this, right? So Domas goes 15 of 21 from the field. And then you think to yourself, there's still another guy that shot just that as well. I mean, it's like NBA type of uh, stat line. John L. Davis, as you said, uh, played well um, too. Yeah, I mean, John L. Davis goes 19-9 and four in a loss. Um, he did have five turnovers. That was about the you know that was about the only bad stat anybody had uh, on either team. So. I'll come away more impressed with Illinois than I have anything to feel about FAU, though. The fact that they do have this type of offensive firepower um, is obviously a great thing for them. They've kind of been flying under the radar a little bit uh, coming into this year, I would say. Uh, If you look at the parity that we've seen so far early in college basketball, offensively, it seems like they can kind of hang with anybody in their league at this point, you know, and um, Big Ten has had a couple teams that are uh, disappointing, or at least in Michigan State, who just lost again uh, tonight or last night. Wisconsin is kind of taking that role of maybe a team that's better than we thought that they they would be. But um, Illinois really kind of, I don't say want a contender for like a national title or anything like that, but they certainly are going to make some noise in the conference with this type of firepower on offense. Yeah, all good takeaways, and I agree with most of it. The, the one thing I also thought after this game, Taylor, was internally in prepping for the show, and now that we're here, and I might need your help making a decision, do I do I kind of just go with the box score and the final score so that it supports my narrative, or do I use uh, do I use logic and rationale? and use my eyes and say that I was impressed with FAU because I'm, I'm still impressed with FAU, but my narrative coming into the season, Taylor, I don't know if you remember this, but I said, I thought the South Florida teams were a bit too overvalued. I thought Miami and FAU were a little overranked and I didn't think that they stunk. I didn't think that they were bad. There are two teams coming off of a final four and whether or not you like it, there is some respect that goes with it. Okay. Like you can be overranked strictly based on the fact that you went to a final four. And I'm okay with that. Like there's a whole reason why you go to these and it's to earn respect. But I, I just didn't think FAU or Miami were top 10 teams, which I think is what they entered this season as. And so we're going to see FAU fall. I don't understand how the hell they lost to Bryant. I had, I did not have that in my bingo card. And I think that was a huge outlier and not, not really significant or not, not, a fair portrayal of this FAU team. But again, Taylor, it's been helping my narrative and this, this is helping my narrative. But on the flip side, I'm thinking to myself, they looked all right. It's just that, like you mentioned, FAU shot or uh, Illinois shot the leather off the ball. So I'm sitting here saying to myself, okay, they're not a top 10 team. 
I don't think. And I think I was right about that, but they're not as bad as I may have thought. I think they're somewhere, they, they should be slotted somewhere like 17, 18. What say you? Yeah. I mean, that's where they're going to probably come in this week. Illinois should move up somewhere to that 15 mark, give or take, and FAU should slide in somewhere behind them. Um, I think that's totally uh, a fine thing to say. Uh, that The weird thing about that Bryant game, too, is they only scored 52 points, and then you watch them play like tonight, and you're like, how did this team get held to, you know, 40 or uh, 37 less points than this in a game just, you know, three weeks ago, a month ago? So, yeah, you know, it is, it, I guess it is, you know, echoing the, what you kind of said at the intro of this, it is that time of year in, for college basketball now in a lot of ways where we're already a quarter of the way through the season, for the regular season, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, so we're starting to get a real feel for some of these teams. Now, some teams we have no feel for at all, like a Villanova who, knows. Oh, I got a feel for them. I'm out. Well, yeah. Out. Okay. Yeah, like, sure. Yeah. Right. You know, but, um, I think FAU's performances still make me feel good about them. Uh, you're right. Maybe not top 10, but I still, still feel good about them winning their conference. I still feel good about them, you know, as a top five seed in the tournament, um, not world beaters. They weren't world world beaters last year. Somehow they made the final four, but uh, I think they're still a very good team. They, they certainly, uh, you know, have a superstar, a collegiate superstar in John L. Davis. And, and that can take you a long way. I want to shift now a little bit to Illinois and get your thoughts on this. How can they sustain this? That's not to ask how in the world are going to, are they going to sustain 60 plus percent shooting? They're not going to newsflash. I already know the answer to that, but how can they sustain these types of performances or these performances where you get huge contribution contributions from secondary tertiary players and you get consistently great performances from a Taryn Shannon who has the potential to be an all American Taylor. I, I'm curious to know, do you see Illinois sustaining this in January and February because their November and December play has never been an issue, Right. I've seen, I literally saw this last year. I don't know if it was in MSG. I forget. It could have been in Chicago, but I vividly remember Terrence Shannon Jr. going off and all of us being in awe of this team. And we've seen it the last couple of seasons as well. Matthew Meyer, I think, went off as well. Uh, Kofi Coburn's had some, had some big games, but they just fizzle a little bit towards the end of the year, Taylor, where I think Underwood's only win in the tournament with Illinois is a nail biter against the mocks where they're a pretty good team. Actually, Lamont Paris, he was the head coach at, at Chattanooga. He's doing a really good job at South Carolina this year. But the point that I'm making Taylor is I feel like we've seen this story in November and December with Illinois, but I haven't seen this level of play translate after a grueling January in the big 10 where second half of January, early February, and then stretch run going into conference tournaments, we see them playing at a tip-top level. Do you see them maintaining this? If you ask me this question in five days, I'll probably be able to tell you a little better after they could play at Tennessee in their next game. I mean, that's a tournament game. Uh, two, you know, contradicting styles or contrasting styles there. Big Ten, here's going to be the tough part about what you're asking, though, is Big Ten's not, as we just kind of discussed, Big Ten's not as good as it usually is this year, in my estimation. I think you only got only two ranked teams, three ranked teams in the Big Ten right now. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously things can change. But 
I'm, 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 we're not going to see the same superstar level of competition maybe in the Big Ten that we've seen in the last couple of years. So why, I guess, why can't Illinois fill that void? Going back to what I said previously, I, I don't think that, that there's a reason that they can't fill that void. Purdue is obviously the best team in the conference. I, uh, that, that them aside, I would say, um, if they could keep getting this type of contribution from Shannon, he's averaging 20 points a game this year. Before this game, he was averaging 20 points a game, I believe. So now it's going to be up towards like a 22, 23 number. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll be pro for them, I guess, if we're having this argument. Why? You say why. I say why not, I guess. You know, not – I guess we have a problem in college basketball, a lot of figuring that a team – and it is funny. I talk about this all the t- time, how sometimes a team is just a team who's just a team over and over and over. Arizona loses in the tournament every year. Tennessee can't shoot every year. You know what? Duke has a bunch of white, annoying dudes every year. You know, like it's just the same. It's a lot of times it's the same. The book's thing out over. on them. Yeah. So somehow it's the same thing over and over again. But I would say that this team's built a little differently. This this uh, this Illinois team's built a little differently. You brought up like the Kofi Coburn teams. Obviously, Kofi was a big dude inside. This team's a little more, obviously, they just scored 98 points, a little more offensively, um, you know, adept than I would say some previously teams are, uh, previously teams were. So I, I would say I, I could see this continuing, and, and we'll get that answer, I think, in just four days here when they play Tennessee, another orange on orange. They should play color on color, damn it. Um, it's, not, it's not the same orange. Um is it? It's pretty close. No, but. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not. Tennessee's it's not. obviously a little, a little lighter. I remember the uh, Wisconsin Illinois game just real quick. I think it was back in like yeah. 2006 or 2005 where they went red on orange, and it oh, was yeah. impossible to differentiate. And those them. were those annoying Adidas red jerseys they had that didn't like their colors didn't uh, match for any of the schools. Like, it, yeah. if I remember correctly. But uh, but if they get through Tennessee. You know, they, they they roll with Colgate, and if Illinois continues to score, that game will be like a million to 999,000 because both those teams can score. Uh, but then they got Missouri, Farley, Dickinson, Northwestern before they go to Purdue to start the uh, on the 5th of January. They got a nice little stretch there where they could roll off a couple wins, maybe head into like very serious Big Ten play uh, against Purdue with, you know, 10, 11, 12 wins. Yeah. They could be ranked top 10 by then. If they knock off Purdue, we might see them top 10 that next week at this time next week. Yeah. So I'm still, I'm just a little cautious, Taylor. Okay. I'm just a bit cautious because I think you might be underselling the big 10 just a little bit. They're not world beaters in the big 10, except for Purdue. They might be. I'm not just yet going to sell on Michigan state. There's no doubt that they look bad. They absolutely look bad right now, and I think the biggest thing is the the, the Sparty was a a final a trendy Final Four pick for a lot of people. That that is slowly slipping away. If not, it's completely gone. But the rest of the Big Ten, we need to I think give credit, and I don't think Illinois is that much better than these guys. Right? I just I think I need to see more of it from the Illini, and it, it's it's opening the door for yet another potential like tepid January and February. And so the other teams I'm referencing are in Ohio state. Who's vastly improved Northwestern who just beat Purdue. Like, are we sure Illinois is the best big 10 team in Illinois? I don't know. I don't know. Northwestern has the best win. Um, And then we talk about Wisconsin. Wisconsin's tested themselves pretty well. 
they're going to test themselves against Arizona. And because it's not an elite eight game, they're going to, they're going to lose that game. Wisconsin is, but like, they're a good team. They're ranked Um, Indiana. Like I'm still banging on the Indiana drum. I don't know how they fared against Michigan tonight. I think, or excuse me, last night. I don't know if you have that up, but Indiana's they They won. won. All right. Um, so they're seven and one as well. Like it's not in Nebraska, Nebraska's seven and one. I think Uh, there's, (laughs) okay. They're better than Nebraska. Fine. I'll give you that. I just, I just need, I'm, I'm scared Taylor. And this is like kind of full circle. Like when we started this podcast, Taylor, I was an Underwood guy. I was riding with him super hard and I think he's still a really good coach. And I think he's put together some good teams they just haven't been that potent. They always start off so strong. They're just not that potent come tournament time. And I never really expect them to go to the second weekend. And so I don't know how they're going to fare yet again. Um, are the fumes going to run out? I certainly hope not because they're a fun team, obviously. I'm just not completely sold just yet. I will yeah, say, Taylor, I, mean, I will say real quick, I will say their locker room seems a lot better than it was last year. Their team chemistry seems a lot better. Yeah, I, I, I'm still going to be higher on that. Their only loss is by seven to Marquette. You know, I mean, that's – and they won every other game. This one, what did they win by nine? Yeah. So this was their only non-double-digit win of the year, and it was to the number against the number, you know, 11 team in the country. So I, I'm still going to stay high on them. But, I mean, yeah, we you, we could argue that there's trepidation about, it, about many teams. I mean, Michigan <sighs> – I just want to you say you can go so out bad. on Michigan I just State want to say that I'm not, I ain't going to fight you. They did. I mean, they lost by double digits at home to Wisconsin. And they, Wisconsin they just, might be pretty damn good. Yeah, they started. If you can say that they started only eight games into the season, that they started slow and have really come back, you know, beating that same Marquette team that we just referenced. They certainly have done that. They certainly have looked very good. Their losses are to Tennessee, obviously a good school or good, good program. And then uh, at Providence, uh, Providence, who also lost this evening or yesterday evening, mm-hmm. uh, like got blown out in the second half. The game was like tied, and then they lost by a million in the second half, which was I, I didn't see coming. But um, to a school, I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I I'm gonna still I'll stay high on Illinois just because I haven't seen enough from the other teams in the Big Ten that are gonna show me that they're better than Illinois yet. Yet. Yep. Uh, it, it is kind of crazy though going back to the how they shot last night. They only had 10 assists on the night, Taylor. I mean, all of this was like one-on-one. They put up, how do you put up 98 points on 10 assists? That does not compute. Well, it's all just one-on-one step back drain. It's funny you say that because they're actually talking about that during the game about how the style of offense that they're running this year is a little different than what their normal style of offense is. And that's attacking players rather than just doing what they do. Uh they were referencing how it's more of an NBA style of play where they say, okay, he's the weak link, go at him on defense. So we'll see if that persists through the rest of the year. It was interesting to listen to that and consider that during the broadcast there uh, because I think when we assume every single college team, literally it's we, we play, we do what the coach the coach's system is this and that's what we do. The old Sean Miller quote, do what we do. you know. And so in, Illinois is maybe, you know, going off in a different uh, you know, path on that where they say, hey, we're going to adapt each game to whatever the other team's bad at. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Very curious to see Marcus Domas' next, next game where the scouting report is going to key in on him 
That's not to say that nobody cares about Coleman Hawkins or Taron Shannon Jr. or Dane Danger, but eyes have been raised. Eyebrows have been raised, and people are now aware of Marcus Domask, who's a transfer from, from Southern Illinois. But I'm curious to know what his stat line is because I have a feeling, Taylor, there's going to be some FAU fans that are going to look at his next game's performance and be like, oh, Oh, now oh, he totally. now he, he now he doesn't want to drop thirty. He's gonna go like three of fourteen from the field for like eight, you know, eight points or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I do have my narrative about FAU that I think has been support supported a little bit here this so far this season. I think the same thing with Miami, but I will say uh, unironically and in all seriousness, so impressed with Vlad Golden, man. I love him. He is one of my favorite big men in the entire country. I think Billis said he's shooting came into the game shooting 75% from the field, which is just unheard of. Obviously, he's huge. He does a lot of layups and dunks, but there's still some shots that are challenged that you got to put into the hoop 75% of the time, and he's doing it. Like when he gets the ball, Taylor, and just the growth I've seen from him from the beginning of last year when people started paying attention to FAU to where we are now, where they're highlighting Jimmy V week or they're one of the four major teams in MSG, right? that incredible ascension of the whole program. I think Vlad golden has really impressed me because when he gets the ball on the block, he takes his time. He carves out space. He's never in a rush. He has a great touch, but he's also super physical down low. And that's also defensively. I love Vlad golden, man. I think, and John L Davis is, is one of the best players in the country. One of the best guards in the country. I think Vlad golden is such an integral part to this FAU team. And he's, slowly but surely becoming that Robin. I will say uh, on the flip side, Brian Greenlee, who was stellar last year, he did not have that great of a game against Illinois, unfortunately. Had a rough go of it, only going one of seven for for only three points. I'm sure they could have used his contributions and maybe FAU would have won this game. But it didn't get easier there for the Owls. And that's what Dusty May wanted. He wanted a tough schedule. He understood, and we talked about this in the offseason, striking while the iron's hot. You got that one amazing run. I don't want to call it a miraculous run, but an amazing run where now you got to take advantage of that and propel that into MSG games, propel that into playing now the number one team in the entire country, right? So it doesn't get easier for FAU, but I, I, I'm just very impressed with Vlad Golden, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Brian Greenlee sort of turn it around a little bit because he's critical to their success too. All right, T, uh, the other game there in MSG, let's move on. UConn beating North Carolina. Let me start with this. Did you see the video that Carolina put out? Carolina basketball's Twitter put out. I don't, I don't dislike that they did it, but they essentially tried to say that UNC like MSG was, was it was UNC's backyard or it was their home game. Mm. I'm like, you can maybe do that against any other team in the entire country with the exception or two other teams like St. John's and UConn. But going up against UConn, that was uh, that was a very interesting video to put out. And I understand that there's a New York to Carolina connection. But this was a fun game. Spicy. Those boys were squabbling out there, Taylor. Cam Spencer, Armando Baycott, Harrison Ingram. I, do not, I think Cam Spencer is slowly but surely rising the ranks of, like, all-time hated players. If you're a Carolina fan, somewhere with Duke guys. If you watch that game, they did not like him. But UConn ends up with the victory. Let me kick it to you first for uh, initial thoughts and takeaways. 
I mean, of the Duke North Carolina rivalry, are the, isn't Duke a little more at home at MSG, even the North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. good just point. Throwing, just throwing that out there too. Um, very impressed with UConn. I've been kind of, you know, quite honestly, waiting for them to kind of trip up a post, uh, you know, national championship, uh, you know, hangover. They certainly don't have that. Their only loss being what a four or five point loss at Kansas, you know, so no. No hangover here for them at all. They certainly have been very impressive in this game uh, as well. And then the big story, of course, uh, um, today was them getting uh, Steph Castle back. If you know, he didn't he didn't light the world on fire today by any means, but you know, he came back, getting him back in the rotation, him back in the fold. It's only going to do good things for them going forward. And this game ended up only being an eleven point game. UConn did kind of push it out to. Were they up by 15 or 16 at one point? 15, I, I, I think. think. And I think the problem for North Carolina is going to be this. And we kind of talked about it uh, in the preseason is. So RJ Davis er, scored 26 points today, right? And they're going to need more from other guys. It can't just be RJ Davis scoring. I mean, Harrison Ingram had 22 as well. Uh Baycott four of 12 is not going to work down low, brother. You know, that's not going to work. Cadeau, uh, not too many shots out there. He looked fine, I guess. Um, and then Cormac Ryan, three of 10 from the field, only only scoring six points. They're gonna that was need, the issue. Yeah, they're going to need more from the non-RJ Davises of the world to – uh, to compete in these games. It's not like they played poorly necessarily. I don't think it was their best game they've played by any means. Um, UConn just definitely looked like a much better, you know, cream of the crop type of team, which which is what they are at this point. Um, it's actually a little surprising that they're not ranked a little higher than five almost. I think there's an argument you could say that they should probably be even higher than that considering their only losses also to Kansas. So um, UConn has an argument along with Kansas, along with Arizona, is probably the best team in the country uh, at this point. Um, they certainly played the part or looked the part uh, here against North Carolina. It was definitely a tournament-style game. It felt like a big game, like a lot of games at MSG do. But uh, I, I guess I came away being, you know, I've, I've been impressed with UConn all year, but I, I, I'm thinking that North Carolina might be – God, it's not like they're bad. It's just like they're just they just feel like they just lack that second or that that top gear that some of the other maybe five or seven teams above them have. Let me try to let me try to translate what you're saying because I think what I, my thought was is similar, and that is when you watch this game and if you ask or if you bring in someone who doesn't know much about college basketball. And they're like, so what's the difference between the number five ranked team in the country and the number nine ranked team in the country? There are two top 10 teams. I think if you watch that game, there was a clear distinction as to who was better. And you mentioned some of those names, Taylor. I'd even put Marquette in like they, they had a bad loss against Wisconsin, but the likes of Arizona, Kansas, Marquette, UConn in no particular order. Did I say Purdue? I forget, but they're in there too. Uh, that's like the cream of the crop. Okay. And then you have a bit of a drop off. And that drop off is probably somewhere around double digits between a UConn, who is a buzzsaw national champion, and a team like Carolina that has a lot of vets and a lot of talented pieces and is good. They are strong. They are good. But that's pretty much the the secondary tier. 
what you just saw the second or third, you know, maybe lower second tier with Carolina because they are good, but you have to play a perfect game to, to beat UConn. Right. You mentioned the RJ Davis. He, he played well. He got going in the second half. Uh, I actually think Harrison Ingram is a fantastic player. I think he is their best player. Yeah. Jay Williams actually said it at halftime and I agree with him. We have our opinions on Jay Williams, but when he said Harrison Ingram, and when Carolina needs to realize Harrison Ingram's their best player, they'll be better off. I agree with him in that respect. I think RJ Davis kind of took over because no one else was, and he had to do it. So I don't blame RJ Davis for, for getting up his shots and trying to will his team back. Um, Carolina didn't get much from their bench. And this is what I mean by you have to play a perfect game. They didn't get much at all from their bench. If you're going to be that heavily reliant on the starters, it ain't going to work against a team like UConn. And I think Seth Trimble had a few boards and a bucket, but that's about it for, for the bench contributions. They needed Cormac Ryan. Cormac Ryan had to match Cam Spencer's output and intensity, and it was nowhere near the same level. Like Cam, Cam Spencer was god-awful against Kansas. I think he had a turf toe, and he looked injured out there. He was really bad. And you see when I group Kansas and UConn, right, UConn doesn't need to play a perfect game. They missed a ton of free throws. Cam Spencer didn't play well, right? And they were right there against Kansas on the road in Allen Fieldhouse. But when Cormac Ryan doesn't show up and Cam Spencer does, because by the way, the good Cam Spencer did show up and a feisty Cam Spencer showed up, uh, this was like an 11-point game. And the thing with UConn, Taylor, is their, their haymaker is arguably the most potent in college basketball. I'd say it's it, them in Arizona's. Because you look at Arizona, a lot of their games, they might go up five or seven into halftime. And then that for under four timeout in the second half, they're up like 20. It's crazy. It's an avalanche. UConn's the same way. They were up three very early in the second half against Carolina. And they pushed it to 11. That was your ball game. They won by what? They won by 11. Carolina can chip away. Teams like Carolina can chip away against teams like UConn and get it to maybe four, five, make it a little interesting. I don't think with 18 minutes to go, you're going to beat your, I don't think you're going to beat UConn by 11 over the course of 18 minutes. I, I think it's too difficult. And so UConn pushing it from three to 11 in like a split second is so gut wrenching. And then my last point, Tristan Newton, welcome to the foxhole, my friend. Uh, last episode, I brought in Isaiah Stevens from Colorado State into my foxhole of point guards. Long, long overdue. Tristan Newton is unbelievable. Truly incredible. He's always in control. The guy's flirting with a triple-double. It seems like almost every time he goes out on the court, he's just he's, – he's so good. And I love R.J. Davis. Don't get me wrong, Taylor. And you look at stats and you say, well, R.J. Davis probably played better. I, I don't know if he did. I think Tristan Newton yet again was the best point guard on the court. He was the best player in in the fog. And Bill Self said the same thing. Him and I mean, we we mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. He's not Tyrese Halliburton, but he's having that type of impact as one of the best point guards in the entire country. Those are my big takeaways. Well, I mean, you gotta love a big guard. You know, Newton's six five. And that's I mean, that's gonna cause a lot of problems on both both sides of the ball, uh, both you know, on defense, but especially, you know, with his ability to see 
over a guy like RJ Davis, who's just six feet tall. Um, so his size is really big, is a key factor. Yeah, teams like UConn in Arizona, like you referenced, they have what's called what I, or a lot of people refer to as the, the death run, right? Where they, all of a sudden they can just go on a 20 to two run in like four minutes and the game's over. You, you know, and not a lot of teams have that ability. A lot of teams can do that against mid level teams. Right. A lot of teams can do that. Like an Illinois can do that against a, you know, whatever, a, a Michigan State, maybe, you know, like they, they have that ability. Right. But it's 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 the top end teams that we've seen over the course of years that just have that ability. that it doesn't matter who they're playing and that they can they can go on a run like that. Um, and then subsequently on the other side, uh, they can weather those storms right like if they do on the uh you know if another team does shoot 63 percent from the field like illinois did against fau or like a yukon would missed i think they only shot 56 percent from the free throw line tonight too that they can weather the storm from the other team too and go on the run of their own it's the answer back there so to speak so um this was such a well-played game too like I, I mean both teams only had eight and seven turnovers which is just beautiful to see there was a point in the second half where it felt like five like five of those turnovers happened in like a three minute margin it felt like but yeah came away you know continually impressed with UConn should be one of the if not the favorites to win the national title again this year Um, maybe not the favorite but certainly one one hair not a hair outside of being the favorite to repeat so you said UConn shot 50% from the line again tonight they shot Uh, 56% from the line 9 of 16 that's going to get him clipped, man. It got him clipped against Kansas. And and this is this is the luxury of being as dominant as UConn is. I'm like out here splitting hairs and trying to find anything, I suppose, for them to improve on. But I actually think that's relatively glaring. You can lose games by not hitting your free throws. And if they're not on, which we saw Cam Spencer wasn't on on Friday. And again, I know you're in Allen Fieldhouse against one of the best teams in the entire country. But if you're on the road, uh, you know, to to uh, a St. John's or a Providence, right, in the Big East, and you're shooting 50% from the line and that crowd gets lathered up and gets going and you lock up a little bit and, you know, see how this translates into conference tournament play and then even in the NCAA tournament. I, I do think that's something to monitor and something to keep an eye on. I don't think UConn has been that strong. They're, they could be putting these games away. Uh, so let me, the free let, throw me line. let me offer a flip version of this because they also only shot um, 32% from three in this game as well. What if the that's flip terrifying. version? What if the, yeah, that's what I'm saying. What if the flip version of this is if these guys make three more threes and five more three throws, free throws there's nobody that's even close to them then yeah like that's a yeah that's that's the scarier version of what yours of of the opposite of what you're saying right where it's like Klingon went two of nine and spencer went three of nine from three that's now right so i mean like the flip side version of that is if a couple of those fall this game's over with 10 minutes left so i'm with you you got to make free throws that's obviously the college just a basketball adage in general right but what if the flip side of this is if they just shoot a little better then they're going to be just a a nightmare to deal with you know what don't make those free throws don't make those threes because you're already making these games relatively uncompetitive so for the theater purposes continue doing what you're doing i guess uconn uh, it's making for a better product but a lot of fun watching that event and of course we heard the Jimmy V speech, which was always incredible. Uh, Dick Vitale, always, always incredible. So 
Great event. Looking forward to some more hoops this upcoming season. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead and get to our segments now, though, with easy layup. I'll kick it to you. Go for it. So I'm going to do what I would say is a, uh, let's call it a devil's advocate easy layup. This is an easy layup if you are a Philadelphia basketball fan that is not an alumnus of Villanova University. Going okay. 0 for 3. Easy layup is the support of the other teams in the Big Five who have all <laughs> beat Villanova this year, which is awesome, I think. I, I mean, imagine being the fan of a Drexel, you know, of a St. Joe's. Um, you know, who else did they lose to? Uh, St. Joe's. Was it uh, St. Joe's, Drexel, and – oh, Penn. They lost Penn. to Penn. You Penn, yeah. yeah. So my easy layup is supporting – those schools because i mean the big five is such a cool and unique thing i think it's a it's a college basketball uh history type of thing you couldn't you can't really repeat that in other sports um football there's certainly not enough games to do something like that um and pro sports that doesn't really apply so i think the big five is a really cool thing and uh shout out to um to everyone but villanova so my easy layup is the support of uh of everyone but villanova I love that. No, I love that. Nova goes down to Kansas State in gut wrenching fashion. They force overtime. They were up two with a couple seconds left. Tyler Perry delivered the final blow. Tyler Perry didn't have that good of a game, actually. And my Pac 12 Player of the Year is Tyler Perry. And it's not looking that good, I'll be honest with you, but redeemed it a little bit. And Nova. Yeah, I'm out on that, man. I know I always say February 14th, but there are some teams where I'm just like, nope. I, I don't, I'm, I'm done. Like I, I might even be, be reaching close to, I don't know if we need to have a conversation just yet about Kyle Neptune, but it's inching that way. It's what a weird, what a weird team. Weird, weird, weird team. I, yeah. I don't well, get it. Here's the thing that pisses me off the most about Villanova Taylor. Everyone, everyone always has said the last two years, basically since Jay Wright's been gone. It's like, wait till they get healthy or they're a dark horse or after they win like three games in January, nobody wants to see this Nova team. And they were, they were top. So I mentioned about how FAU and Miami get into the top 10 this upcoming season based on what they've done in the past. Why was Villanova ranked top 25 this year Mm. entering the season? I have no idea. I think that's still based off of what, like they have not looked like a top 25 team. They beat Carolina, which is, I, I don't know how that happened, but I'm out on Nova, man. So Nova's an interesting school, just and I don't want to go too far deep into this, but Nova's importance in the basketball world is a very interesting place because Jay Wright, at one point, Nova was the the standard bearer of college basketball. Not that long ago, five, five, seven years ago, right? And with Jay Wright there, you know, a continued amazing amount of success every single year, right? I mean, he retired after going to a Final Four. And then, you know, previous to that, you had Steve Lapis, who was a good coach, right? But they only went to the tournament three times under him, four times under him. So I was like, well, okay. Then obviously, Roly Massimino was there. But even over Roly's last five seasons, they didn't do shit. So, I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, it's not a one coach program. That's for sure. Like they're obviously bigger than that, but it is interesting that their name isn't carrying a little more cachet as it relates to like the recruiting transfer, acquiring talent at this point. Cause this is Neptune's, um, you second know, season. second season. And so you're like, well, why at a place like Villanova, who is the king of 
uh, basketball in the state of Pennsylvania and kind of that tri-state area, let's call it. Um, why would you ever be bad? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like when Texas is bad at sports. It's like in any sport. I'm like, why would you ever be bad? You literally can recruit within a hundred yards of campus, and you should be able to come up with like three, four star players that are good. So interesting to watch. Yeah, you're right with Kyle Neptune. They're going to be. I, it's not hot, but it's 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 getting warm. Yeah, I think like, I'd be upset. I'd be upset if I was a Nova fan because Taylor in year two, I'm not expecting him to get to a final four. I'm not expecting him to beat UConn in two years. I'm not expecting him to win the big East or win the big East tournament. But what I am expecting is him to not lose to UPenn, to not lose to Drexel, to not lose to St. Joe's. Right. Like I think those are fair expectations. No, you, for can't, year two. you can't finish last in the big five. <laughs> No yeah, matter what, yeah. no matter what's going on, you can't finish last in the Big Five. So, so it's a it's a little treacherous there for for Mister Neptune, uh, but I like that hug for all of the other the the Big Four. Really, it's the Big Four and then Villanova. Crazy! I never thought I'd be saying that, but uh, let's go ahead for me my easy layup. I'm going to go with some encouraging news out of Los Angeles. Bronny James was a limited participant at USC's. Practice on Monday. Om Young Masuk, uh, ESPN staff writer, wrote USC freshman Bronny James uh, is awaiting clearance for a full contact practice. Some quotes here from Andy Enfield Bronny has not been fully cleared yet. Um, he can participate without contact. He's done a good job of getting his conditioning and strength back, and I think he's on path to being ready to play very quickly. Uh, Enfield also says, we hope to get Bronny on the court as soon as possible. The heart specialists, the doctors at USC, those are people that have to give the approval uh, to clear James for full contact practice. And I know they're working diligently on the whole process. I commend them for all that they've done. Enfield continued to say, everybody's excited to see Bronny on the court, fans, teammates, everybody around the campus uh, program and university. Bronny's done a great job of mentally and physically getting back to this point. And I think he's anxious to get playing uh, full-time. I think this is great news. Obviously from a health perspective, it means he's getting a lot better. And I think we've gotten those updates from the James family, from LeBron himself, but now it's at a point Taylor where I want to see him on the court. Just like, I'm, I'm not going to judge him. I'm not trying to grade him or anything like that. I just want to see Bronny James play. And I want to see how he can contribute to a USC team that is looking for answers at this point. I think this could be a very, very compelling storyline. Yes. This is LeBron James's son. Yes, we've heard what LeBron James says he's probably going to do, which is leave a Lakers game or skip a Lakers game to go see his son play, which, by which the way, I love. salute. I, he, I love. Commend yeah. him. I, one of these stupid aggregate accounts was like, what do you guys think about this? What the hell is there to think about? Shut up. LeBron well, James. LeBron James. What the hell does he have to prove, really, at this point? Nothing. Like, right. The Lakers, yeah. The Lakers as a team should forfeit that game and go support Bronny if, if LeBron wanted to. But – um I'm, so obviously I'm excited to see Bronny from that perspective, but I also want to see what he can do on the court. I want to see if he's going to be able to contribute to this USC team. And it's going to take some time. It was always going to take some time. If he was hundred percent healthy as a freshman coming in, it's going to take some time, but now he's had this setback. I'm rooting for the kid. And I think this is great news. I'm very thrilled that I think we're going to be seeing him sooner rather than later. Uh, and I'm excited for that. I think this is something that we can all get behind. So you're more of a wordsmith than I am. Help me phrase this in what should be a more tactful way than what I'm going to say that say it. That is, I, it, 
this is not a blessing in disguise because you would never say that this is a good thing to have to go through a cardiac situation like he did, right? But I think in a lot of ways on the basketball court, it takes a lot of pressure off Bronny in terms of like having to be LeBron James' son from day one on the basketball court because he's not. He's not LeBron James, right? Nobody ever arguably in basketball history has been LeBron James. And so you would never want this to happen. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I think that is a little bit, I guess, of a blessing in disguise is the only way I can really think of of um, phrasing it because it's like, okay, like the general public, the, the media folks and whatever should allow him some more time to ease into his basketball career rather than hoping that he's the second coming like right away. So there's definitely a better way to phrase that than how I'm phrasing it. But but I think I think it's, you know, in the end for the pressure that's on him is going to be, a, you know, a good thing because he's actually going to have the opportunity to ease into his career and do what he wants with his career rather than be like, oh, what do you mean you're not a lottery pick after eight games as a freshman in college, you know? So obviously I'm rooting for him. Kind of humanizes them, the him in a way where he's not like a Kardashian. Like this is actually like a real problem. This is something that real people deal with. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to like make light of all of this, but it kind of is like, okay, like these people have problems too. This is a legitimate issue and it's a, one that he is overcoming and I hope that he overcomes it. I think you said it perfectly and I get your sentiment. I get w- the message you're trying to convey. I'm just afraid, Taylor, and it's because I'm so jaded to people. I think, you know, people in general suck. I may have like five people that I actually love and like, but people in general suck because Bronny, he might go and I, again, knock on wood, I hope it doesn't happen, but he might go one of six for three points, all coming from free throws. And we're going to get people dumping on him because he's LeBron James's son and they have a vendetta against LeBron James, or they're going to say, this was a highly touted recruit. I told you Bronny couldn't do it. And they're going to make these sweeping generalizations after one game. And that's the shit that's going to actually really, really piss me off. And, and, and that, that is what's going, that's what I'm apprehensive about, but I hope he, I hope he does incredibly well. And I hope he's very productive uh, with the exception against Arizona. That's, that's not just a Bronny thing. That's against, that's everyone, but, I, you know, he could be he could be a spark plug for this USC team. We'll see. All right, T, you got a lane violation for me? I do. And I didn't watch this game, but I'm going to say there was had to be something going on with some refing situations over there in the Northeastern Husky versus ODU, the old Dominion Monarchs. <laughs> Did you, Did you have a close eye on that? No, I didn't see this. <sighs> Fuck. What are you doing? What did you have? A, what do you have? A life soup? Literally, a thousand and thirty-three people showed up uh, in Boston, your hometown, at noon <laughs> on December second to watch this high, you know, high flying affair. But imagine showing up. We have one of these thousand people, right? And not only do you get to witness forty-eight fouls called in one college basketball game, but you got to get to watch Northeastern shoot fifty-one free throws. In a college basketball game. What? While, while watching, and let's say you're an Old Dominion fan who made the trip over there, right? And then you watch your own team, Old Dominion, the Monarchs, as we all know, shoot nine free throws in comparison to Northeastern's 51. Wow. What a discrepancy. Pain. That is a painful college basketball. That's a painful anything to watch, but let alone a college basketball game. Uh, interestingly enough, 
only one player from Old Dominion fouled out despite <laughs> Northeastern shooting 51 free throws. How so, many players got minutes? Like every single that's, one? That's the equal opportunity foul calls right there. Um, they had, let me see, one, two, three, four, five players have at least four fouls, though. So, um, yeah, 51 to, f- to nine free throw discrepancy. Shout out to Old Dominion for only losing that game by 13 points. Also, you get the other team shoots 42 more free throws than you, and you only lose by 13. So, uh, my lane va- violation is something was amiss there. You know what's funny? There probably was a lane violation, 60 cumulative. That's fouls. also kind of that. Thank you. That's also why, yeah, like, thank you. I appreciate that. 60 times, 60 fouls. I don't know how many free throws were shot. You're probably jumping in the lane a little, little early. I'll tell you what, though, Taylor. Good on you because I cannot imagine there's another person out there in this world, outside of maybe Kent Bazemore, great Old Dominion monarch, who would be advocating for this foul discrepancy. Like I think it's you and Kent Bazemore wearing the cape for ODU. Remember Bazemoreing? Uh, on, on the um, when the. Warriors were like at their peak like ability, which also was like eight years ago. Uh, yesterday, uh, Clay Thompson scored 38 with 38 yeah. quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Kent Bazemore was on that team. I think it was a little dance he did. Kent Bazemoreing that was that was fun. I always liked those Warriors teams. Kent Bazemore, man, this is why he got, this is the best he got paid a lot of money for being on those Warriors teams. Oh, yeah, Kent Bazemore is a great, I mean, look, a great guy, too. Yeah, actually, you know, he left when he went to the Lakers, I think. He was on the Lakers for a minute. He was also on the Hawks for a minute. He got, like, paid, too. Yeah. And then came back to the Warriors, too. Kent Bazemore had a good life, had a good good NBA career. And I I hope he's continuing to live a good life. I mean, it's not like Kent Bazemore's gone, but. uh, Is he still in the league? No, stop it. Kent Bazemore cannot. If he's if he's still in the league, he should be on the next who he play for. Yeah. On is he like still on the Warriors? <laughs> they might want to no, bring him he's back. Not. He's struggling. not. He's no, not. He's definitely board. not. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying, you and Kent Bazemore are the only two advocating for Old Dominion. I'm sure. But that's a good lane violation, Taylor. I'm sticking with the ref theme though. Georgetown game. TCU beats Georgetown on an Emmanuel Miller. Game winner. I mean, this is Taylor. This is just like what's wrong with college officiating and the rules. Cause it's the rules. I want to make sure I isolate the actual issue. It is the rules. I'm not blaming the refs for this, but the rules are so stupid, but this headline, this literally Taylor, this headline reads Emmanuel Miller wins it for TCU despite stepping out of bounds ahead of the shot. Like, like if I'm reading that, it's like, wait, so we won it, but he stepped out of bounds and that's okay. So how do you explain that? How do you explain to someone reading that headline? It's like, sir, how did they win this game? If he, cre- if, if he violated a rule and they're going to say, well, you know, we actually did go to the monitor. Oh, great. So you caught it. Well, no, we, so we did catch it, but because we didn't rule him out of bounds initially, we can't rule him out of bounds after the review. I mean, what? Like it just goes against all logic. And I, so I, I've, I've been in corporate settings where like a case is presented to you and you do your absolute best to let logic prevail. But sometimes other people are like, these are the rules. Like these are the rules and there's no changing. And it may be asinine. It may not make any sense whatsoever, but these are the rules. And that's kind of what we've gotten here. And again, I'm not blaming the officials, but the rules are so stupid. You should be able to, upon review, 
overturn a call. I think you can do that in the NBA when an NBA gets challenged or a play gets challenged and the ref sees like, Oh, actually something uh, like a part of this play that wasn't challenged. Actually we missed, we got to go back and review it uh, and then change the call. That's good. Emmanuel Miller wins it for TCU after stepping out of bounds. How stupid do we sound? That's my lane violation. I mean, Georgetown kind of deserves it, though, because they shouldn't have beat Merrimack the previous game uh, on what is also a controversial call on their coach, uh, Joe Gallo, I think his name. Oh, yeah. Uh, Merrimack, yeah. maybe that's my home. Yeah. That's close to my hometown. Yeah. Uh, who got teed up for uh, wiping his hands on. Did you did you see he that? Threw, he threw his water bottle. I mean, it was garbage. It was garbage. Yeah. But this is like, like a cut and dry thing, Taylor. <laughs> like, I know. No, okay. You no, you're right. Sorry. I'm out of bounds. Yeah. No, I'm getting off, uh, you know, off base there, but yeah, uh, Georgetown deserves it first off. But secondly, it is ridiculous. The reviews that we go through in sports, just in general, especially in college basketball, but um, sports in general, where I'm not, I'm still very, I'm still pro replay. Like it, it has its place in, in all these games. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but I will never, ever understand what, what the refs are actually looking looking at you know actually um, let me go way off base here now that we're over an hour into this program people are listening to this whether uh, i'm making any sense or not if they've stayed this long so um one thing that they started to talk about on nfl games and, and college games just this year that i have been advocating for 20 years of replay is why nobody could figure out that the angle of the camera was never directly down the line of things. And it would drive me insane to sit with people. Be like, no, it's clearly in. It's like, no, the camera's on the 10-yard line, okay? And it's looking forward or backwards, I guess, at the end. Like, that's not how it works. And you just, like, clearly in your mind, you're like, this was the kid you got mad at in algebra or geom- in geometry in, like, sophomore year of high school, you know? And it's just, like, repeating inside my mind. So shout out to the uh, at least uh, the announcers this year for being like, oh, yeah, well, it's not looking straight down the line because it's at an angle. And you can just see people, like, their minds explode. <laughs> I never thought about that before. Sorry, I'm done. Let me mute myself so you can move on here. No, 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 Taylor. I, I appreciate that. That makes sense. What used to bug me was shot clock violations. Like, did he get it off in time or not? And they would replay those last couple seconds trying to use a blind eye. And I'm like, guys, all you got to do is pause it the second the red light comes on. And if the ball's in his hand, it's a violation. If it's not, it's a good shot. Like, they're trying to eyeball it by saying, okay, we got to look simultaneously at the ball while using my left eye to look at the re- at the backboard. I'm like, you guys are so stupid. Everyone is so stupid, Taylor. I'm convinced. So, uh, yes, lane violations. My God. All right. Make us happy, Taylor. Give it, you win us some money. You got a, you got any Damble Dimes for us, Bell? I guess I've been winning us so much money so far this year. Yeah. Sorry, right. we do. took a break. You know, you got a break. That's, what I, that's really why I, I broke last week is because I, I didn't have anything to give to everybody. No, just kidding. So we're going to start with a team we've talked about or reference, not really talked about too much, but reference a couple times on this program so far. Marquette is hosting Texas, which is the game of the day today in college basketball. Now, even though I was talking about Marquette, Texas is an eight-point underdog in this game. And that, to me, seems like a lot. Like, I think Marquette's going to win this game, and I think they're better than Texas. But eight points in a game against the number eight versus number 12 team in the country seems like kind of a lot for me. So, um, 
And if we're being also quite honest, I think Marquette's very good, but they've also lost two of their last three, like at home to Wisconsin, who isn't necessarily a world beater either. So I think Marquette still pulls this out like a three to five point type of win, maybe even maybe even six if you want to get really crazy here. But uh, I think Texas covers that eight points. So I'm going to go Texas plus eight um, against Marquette there in Milwaukee. Uh, we're going to go now to one of the most underwhelming teams that we've talked about previously on this program, and that's UNLV. It just sucks over and over and over and over and over again. And they are only eight-point underdogs on the road at Dayton. So I'm going to take Dayton minus eight. Uh, Dayton is, you, you know, they've played, they've looked decent this year. They, you know, they lost to, to Houston, which is actually – we didn't bring up Houston as one of those top tier teams earlier. So let me correct Thank ourselves you. there. Yes, Great call. Because yes. they're maybe the best team in the country too. So, so yeah, I want to make sure that we get that in there. But, you know, Dayton's two losses are to at Northwestern, which looks way better. looks way better now than it did previously. So, um, yeah, their two losses are to Dayton and Houston – or to Northwestern and Houston. Those certainly don't look like terrible losses. And UNLV is just awful. So uh, we're going to roll with Dayton minus eight. And then we're going to stick close to home. And I mean real close to home, like five minutes south of me, 10 minutes south of me here at the credit union or whatever they're calling the there's stupid arena down there in Tempe. Um, SMU is coming here to Tempe. Soup, you can get tickets right here on my ESPN page. I'm looking, you can get for tickets as low as $2 to go to this ASU SMU game if you're interested in. So, no thanks. Yeah. Um, so, SMU is a four point dog on the road at ASU. I, I, this ASU team is not very good. I think SMU, I don't think SMU is great either, but SMU can score the basketball. And um, their losses are to so far this year Dayton by two good basketball team, Wisconsin by eight, good basketball team, Texas A&M by 13, good basketball team. So their only three losses are to teams that are not only tournament teams, well, tournament teams, but a couple of them being very good teams. Um, ASU is just doing whatever they do down there uh, in Tempe, you know, losing by a million to BYU and all those type of things. Getting punched in the, good team, get, but yes. Get, two teams, Sue, two teams in the country are perfect against the spread this year. It's BYU and... Arizona. Arizona. Thank you. So uh, I'm taking SMU plus three and a half. So that's SMU plus three and a half against ASU. That is Texas plus eight against uh, Marquette. And then that is uh, UN, or Dayton minus eight against UNLV. Some nice things to unpack here. Texas Marquette, the Shaka Bowl. UNLV, I, that's a wildly low number going all the way across the country to a good Dayton team that's been having to carry the water for the A-10. I actually don't think the A-10's as bad as we may have said they were. They've got some all right wins throughout the course of the year thus far, but Dayton minus eight, I like that. And then this is your second time taking SMU this year. You took SMU plus seven against Wisconsin. They only lost by eight, so they almost covered there. And we see how good Wisconsin is thus far. So SMU plus three and a half. Uh, interesting. Going back to the well there with the Stangs. Can I offer one more complaint about basketball, even though it's not college. Yeah. Basketball we don't like basketball. Why do we have this podcast? Go for it. You know how hard fantasy basketball is when these dumb, the dumb play uh, in season tournament. Dude, I have like seven less games against 
it's so stupid. Yeah. And it's like, you only get so many ads per week and it's like, you don't even know who's playing half the games. Yeah. Sorry. That's just one more complaint to have. I don't know why you're complaining to me. Actually just get Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter and Brandon Ingram develop a team, draft a team like your boy. Cause I'm rolling right now. I had six players out one day last week. What am I supposed to do with that? I don't know. Devin Booker, the NBA sucks. This is why it's reminding <laughs> me why the things I hate about the NBA where it's like, Oh, Hey, 12 minutes before game time. We don't know who's playing. You know, it's like, is Devin Booker going to play tonight? We don't know. Oh, CJ McCollum's going to come off of the injury list eight minutes before game time. And it's like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? You know? Yeah. So I love the, uh, I love the, this player has been downgraded to a game time decision. It's like, so, so he's probably out, right? Like he's done. So what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, all I can say is I suggest you all draft or I hope you all drafted Nikola Jokic. If if you you were as fortunate as the number one pick. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's get on out of here, T. Not so mid. Some mid-major players, coaches, teams that you want to give some love to. So I think a lot of people saw this uh, ending last week. It was one of the craziest I've ever seen. Vermont scored six points with like 0.6 seconds left to beat Yale. Um, So what happened was was, uh, Vermont – goes down, lays the ball in, clock stops with, I think it was like point second, point six. It was under a second. Yeah, point six. So they lay it in. It's now a, a three-point game, 65-62. There's a foul on the inbounds play, an offensive foul. So then now Vermont is inbounding the ball. Not only do they hit a three, but they get fouled while hitting a three. Four-point play with no time left on the clock to end the game. Six points in 0.6 seconds. So that's uh, Vermont over Yale. Finish of the year already in college basketball. Like, that's not going to get beat. Just insane. Poor Yale. I've been banging on the drive of the Ivy League. Princeton still going strong, undefeated Taylor. But Yale, oh, that would have been a really nice win to have. Because Vermont's good. Vermont wins the America East every single year. So I'm telling you, though, the Prince or the Ivy League teams, they can play. And if it's going to take a six point play with 0.6 seconds left or under a second left, whatever it is, uh, I can live with it. Maybe not the Bulldogs, but I can live with that. So I'm glad you shouted out. Princeton ninth in the net ratings. Ninth. I hope you all listen to me when when I gassed him up. I hope you all listen to the Brett McConnell interview like Majority of it is me just kissing ass for our interviews and the folks that have come on, but this one's hitting like Princeton's good. Princeton's for real good. Hey, what's that score there in the uh, IST between the Lakers and the Suns? 95, 98 Lakers. How much time you want me to get you out of here on my not so mid so we can watch? No, keep going. I, I, I don't have hundreds of dollars. I'll go on. No, uh, you know, I am going to get out of here though. On this, it is so my not so mid. I'm going to give a shout out to I can't even say their name without laughing. Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain beat Montana State 70 to 62. First of all, Rocky Mountain's nickname they are the Batlin Bears. I love that. Uh, they are ranked 21 in the NAIA poll. Okay, so they are an NAIA team. They go to Montana State and they win that game, holding Montana State to 23% from three. Uh, Montana State only shot 50% from the line. 
I believe, and they got out-rebounded by 12. Rocky Mountain, Batlin Bears, out-rebounding Montana State by 12. Uh, question for Montana State. You missing Danny Sprinkle much yet? Because Montana State was a fringe tournament team in the sense that they were always in the semifinal or the final of their conference tournament. Danny Sprinkle moves on, and now you're losing to NAIA teams called Rocky Mountain uh, Batlin Bears. So I had to give a shout out to the to the Batlin Bears for their win against Montana State. Congratulations. They get the victory 70 to 62. Yeah, I think they played in the wait, did they make the tournament last year? Who, Montana State? Yeah. I feel like uh, they made they, the... Yeah, they did <laughs> with like Raekwon Battle. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah so, they yeah, did. they played Kansas. They only lost to Kansas State by 12 last year in the tournament. How, how times have changed. They also beat – here's something. Here's how good the Pac-12 is this year. Montana State beat Cal this year, the current oh, season God. that we're in. Oh, Mark. At, Mark at Cal. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I love, give them some time to turn it around, all right, will you? Give them some yeah. time to turn it yeah. around. Okay. Shout out Rocky Mountain. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead, get on out of here. What a great slate of games we just covered. Looking forward to the rest of the week. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.